Decorating Pages is a podcast dedicated to taking you behind the scenes of the designs of your favorite TV shows and films. Each episode, I'll be sharing design stories from some of Hollywood's most famous sets. Interviews from set decorators, production designers, directors, and actors about creating the look of TV and film, about their design inspirations, and stories that take sets from page to screen. Hello, and welcome to Decorating Pages. I'm your host, Kim Wanup. Well, it's award season in Hollywood, if anybody uh, hasn't noticed. And I have been lucky enough to interview a couple of production designers, and I'm trying to get all of these episodes up before the event and, honestly, before the voting stops. So that if you're a voter, you can listen to these interviews and help you decide who to vote for. In this episode of Decorating Pages, I'm speaking with production designer Patrick Totopoulos, who has such a long, amazing career of blockbuster huge films that I, first of all, you know, I prepare for these interviews and I try to specify on things I think that the audience will want to hear, what you want to hear about. And, but secretly, I really just want to hear about films I want to hear about. Um, there are so many questions that I had for Patrick and I don't know if I got to maybe a quarter of them to be honest because he has such a vast career in working in different positions in the art department. He's been a creature designer. He works in visual effects as a creature concept designer. Um, as you'll learn he has his own creature house and uh, how he got started in that. He's a production designer who's worked on films as the nominated Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. He did Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Justice League, 300, Rise of an Empire, The New Total Recall, uh, Live Free, Die Hard, iRobot. He did independent. He started designing on Independence Day which is a phenomenal thing to me, and you'll hear all about that. He talks a lot about Independence Day, which I'm, I was a fan of and am a fan of. Um, he did creature design for Beauty and the Beast. I mean, he's directed, he's been in the makeup department, he's been an art director, a writer, producer, he's acted. He has lends his talents to the costume and wardrobe department. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal, the career that he's had. And I'm, I'm just so glad that he's... <laughs> agreed to speak with me. Um, he's been a nominated for art director, as I said, this year for Maleficent. He's been nominated for a British Film Designers Guild Award uh, this year also. Online film and television winner for production design of Dark City. And for the Academy of Science and Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, he was nominated for Stargate and he won for Godzilla in 99. So, uh, people notice his work and he just sounds like such a genuinely nice guy um, even when I reached out to him at first he was so kind and got right back to me and uh, I've really enjoyed just the tiny tiny uh, minutes I've had to speak to him um, he seems like a cool dude so I'm so glad that he was able to do this and give us these um these moments because he's got some great stories and i'll tell you what i probably could have done another hour with him um so i hope you enjoy 
Okay, let's do this before I uh, somehow screw this up again. Um, I, I, I actually am so overwhelmed with questions um, <laughs> because you have so many gigantic projects. And, I'd, and before I dive into how do you even start something like uh, Maleficent or a Justice League, like how did you get your start? My start well, it goes back a while ago. Um, I remember I was, uh, you know, I'm French and Greek, half French, half Greek, my father's Greek, and I spent some time in my life before I came to the States in Greece. And I remember one night watching a movie called, uh, called uh, The Thing, John Carpenter movie, which is this creature movie, which I thought was amazing. It blew my mind and I decided I want to do this. I got to go to Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, you know, build a portfolio here in Greece, sculpt creatures. My first, my first approach to the movie, the, 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 the movie world was to, um, to, to do creature effects. Mm-hmm. And that, that was my first direction. I didn't know about production design. I didn't know. I'd studied architecture at uh, the Art Decorative of Paris, but I, I'd never really practiced architecture after that. So. I was more uh, I was more interested in the creature world, so I started that way. Basically, put a portfolio, sculpted about five or six creatures, put a portfolio together. At the time, it was not digital, you know, it was just photos and things like that. Right. Put a portfolio together and just uh, called people uh, in uh, in the industry, like in the makeup industry, like uh, Rick Baker, Stan Winston, some of the very big names, and I got some appointments. And so I flew to LA, and when I got to LA. It's, it, I, my, my portfolio was left in Amsterdam on transit, and I didn't have anything to show. And I was here in LA for just a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't very rich back then, and that was a big adventure for me to do already. My, and so I got stuck here with, like for a week with nothing to show. Those people say, hey, we can't really meet you because you have nothing to show. We'd love to meet you, but you know, we need to see what you can do. I say, I understand. The night before I was ready to go back to Greece because, you know, just this thing was not happening, mm-hmm. I ended up getting the portfolio and I called everybody. Unfortunately, most people were not available anymore, except for this small company called Makeup Effects Lab in uh, North Hollywood. And they said, yeah, come back tomorrow. Bring your portfolio. I brought my stuff. They looked at it. They said, this is great. Um, you know, you still have to practice sculpting a little more, but we, we like your work, it's cool. We don't have any work now, but call us back, you know, we'll call you back once we get something going. I said, well, I'm going back to Greece. Yeah, call me back. Mm-hmm. So anyway, hey, I am going back to Greece with like no hope that the Hollywood adventure would happen for me because I was like, well, you know, maybe I should be a fisherman in Greece. And well, <laughs> isn't it Why such, a, it's it such a seesaw of like, well, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to be a fisherman. Like, there's no in-between. Well, that's it. There's no, there's no in-between. Because Greece was lovely, fishermen sounded really good. And it was kind of <laughs> anyway, a month later, I got a phone call back from those guys at Makeup and Sex Labs, and they say, hey, we have a job. We thought you were cool. You're a nice person. We like your work. You think we think you have some great ideas. Why don't you come back? Um, we'll get you your green card. Why don't you come back with the company? Which so was to me, like, completely amazing. They called me back all the way to Greece when they had people working in America doing some great work. They didn't need me, but I thought something sort of clicked. And today, still, I think those people are the people that gave me that biggest chance I've ever had because mm-hmm. they got me my start. They got me my green card. I worked with them for about five years. It took me that long to get the green card. Wow. And quickly, quickly, I realized that they had some cool project, but not the kind of project I wanted to do. And slowly, I started to kind of spread out a bit and starting to discover other aspects of things. And I worked 
uh, uh, mostly on props at that time uh, and creatures like I would sculpt, I would design, I would start doing sketches. And some of my first movies were like uh, Hoffa, Bram Stoker, Dracula, very heavy amount of work on that. Yeah, some movie. small independent films you worked on in the beginning. Well, you, you really... know, I did work on really <laughs> terrible little movies as well. I worked on... Uh, I worked on Chud too. I don't even yes, even no, know I know what Chud. I know what Chud is too, and that I mean, it's still, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit, but still, it's kind of like a, a folklore tour. So it's a movie where you've seen. You don't want to admit that you've seen it, but everybody's seen it. Like <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yes. Well, you know what? What I really want to say is like, okay, I got projected on those projects not because of my talent, because I was associated with that company. To tell you the truth, that company was not the biggest company in Hollywood either. But they did a lot of Star Trek thing for TV, they did a lot of props. And anyway, what they gave me is a chance to understand how the process works. Mm-hmm. And the process of creature effect, makeup effect, is not that all different from our department and set building. You still work with the team, everybody got some sort of assignment, we work together, the collaboration, knowing who to put there, who to, you know, we should be doing this. All that stuff sort of got me slowly into that. And, uh, and I got my first art direction job out of the blue on a movie called, again, number two, Beastmaster 2, not the Beastmaster, but Beastmaster <laughs> 2 was my first art direction. They called me art director for, just to be nice, I assume, because I had no, <laughs> no knowledge about art direction to say. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> so I went on to this project uh, um, and uh, realized that I had a great time working on of designing sets and building them and working with a small team of construction we shot that in Yuma so in a sense that was my first my first little hint at, into the world of sets and set design and set building and set you know all that world and it was that was a very very small film but it got me into the you know it got me onto the ground and I just yeah. uh, I would have to go to the desert and I have to go uh, check out the sculptors I was learning I didn't know yeah. much really yeah. I, and people around me, I gotta say, were very, very supportive. And uh, so that was my kind of my first experience. Then, then uh, this actually happened before the Dracula. I'm sort of mixing up everything. The Dracula was the most uh, important thing for me because that's really what put me on the track for my next big movies. Mm-hmm. Dracula. I started. Um, in a small company that was just across from the company I was working across the street, and uh, Chris Gilman from Global Effect did, mm-hmm. told me, uh, you know, I need, I'm working with uh, the prop master on Dracula's movie for Francis Ford Coppola, and we need props, so I need some designs from you. So I designed the inkwell, I designed the cane of Dracula, I designed a bunch of books, I did a lot of things. I mean, I mean, like drawers of sketches I did for this thing. And when this happened, they liked them, and my, the, the, the guy who hired me ended up building those parts. But then the costume designer at the time was Eiko Ishioka. Eiko Ishioka is one of the most amazing costume designers I've ever met. Uh, she oh, well, passed away I mean, those, those costumes in that film are so memorable. Yeah. I mean, they're like, absolutely stunning. Yeah. And uh, she passed away, unfortunately, a few years back. And uh, she was absolutely amazing. What an incredible artist. Mm. And I think she actually, in some way, drove the whole look of the film. Not just the costume, you know, when when one of the departments sort of like gets that, yeah. that very strong signature style that the director is like, whoa, can you keep an eye also on the set? And this is not to diminish Tom Sanders, who's like an amazing production designer, did a production design of the film, but she was extremely influential all yeah. across the border. Anyway, Echo called me because she had a problem with a helmet for the armor of Dracula. She had designed the armor this crazy red armor he wears at the beginning oh, of the film. Oh, on Gary Oldman. On Gary Oldman. Yeah. And she had done a bunch of 
I personally felt absolutely gorgeous design for the helmet. Francis, which was a big fan of her, still couldn't find the helmet that he liked, and she had trouble with that. She saw the drawing of my props and asked me, why don't you just play with the helmet? So I did a design for helmet, and then she showed it to Francis. Francis said, great, I like that. <laughs> so I, we ended up collaborating in some way, but at a very small level, my job was basically the helmet of Dracula, which appears in a film quite as a hero piece, and I was so, you know, super excited about this. Then, as this happened, Tom Sanders and his art director called me to start working in the art department and do some sketches for the castle design, sketches for the carriage, castle for uh, sketches for the, the chapel. All those very important sets I ended up working uh, next yeah. to another great and famous illustrator called Mantua Yubna, uh, passed away again, an older gentleman, but absolutely amazing illustrator. So I work in a very small team, like just him and I, and we sketched out tons of stuff, which the art department the building. So the movie's done, it's all over, um, and uh, yeah, we move on. And then what happened is uh, I wasn't credited in this movie because I wasn't legal yet. So oh. all the work that I'd done was unfortunately not kind of rewarded in that way, so nobody knew I'd worked on it, except for all the pack of drawing and sketches that I'd done. But someone heard of me, and that was um, uh, Rod Emmerich. Rod Emmerich mm -hmm. heard about this French guy who did some designs on the dry club around soccer and reached out to me via his art department and said, um, I'd like to meet Patrick, bring him in. So I came and I basically met the production designer, uh, Olga Gross, who designed the, the movie. And Olga met me for about two or three hours, which shattered, it was really fun. And then I left and I never heard back from him. I was like, well, okay, yeah. I'm not getting that. <laughs> I'm not getting that movie. And that was it. And then, I don't know, like, seriously, about three months later, got a phone call from Emmerich uh, assistant. He says, you know, did you ever come by? I said, yeah, I came by. <laughs> I had a three-hour <laughs> meeting, but uh, I thought you guys, uh, yeah, no, I was there. He said, well, Ron wants to see you. So I came back. And um, I guess, you know, Ron had a slightly different vision from Olga or something. Something was a bit different. And, uh, you know, Ron decided that I should be working on the movie. So I started the film. Mm. And um, I started the film as a concept artist. You know, because I was doing a lot of illustration at the time. That was one of my key jobs, basically. Yeah, I see that you have no. a lot of illustration uh, credits also. I mean, you're you're yeah, you're yeah, in every every uh, every vein of this art department. It's amazing. <laughs> well, no, you, you, you won't find me as a set designer. That's not going to happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd love to. I'm just really not that good That's at true. That, That's true. Know, I don't know. see that on there, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, so basically... Um, I, so I started in the art department. This sounded like an amazing project. So Stargate. Stargate was like, whoa. Yeah, Stargate yeah, was huge. Huge. Yeah, and huge, huge. I mean, that's, that's bigger than that. But it, the thing is, it was such an exciting project, such a visual feast. When I got, I got to read the script and I started there, that was, in a sense, really my first real art department job. I had got the green card at the time, so I was good. Everything I worked out, so I could actually be officially, uh, you know, uh, part of the art department, not just under the radar somewhere, you know. Yeah. So it was really, really good for me uh, to sit down in a big room where I would be, you know, starting to understand that they are set designers. It's, I mean, I sort of knew that, but not to that level. Work with a broad team of artists, uh, technicians and everything. I could see all that. And it was fabulous. I was, you know, I met other concept artists, which were pretty, uh, pretty uh, Stunning. Yeah. And just learned a lot that way. And, uh, and and my first job was to start doing sketches of like you know some of the the, the sets, some of the world, 
And then Roland Emmerich said, you know, I've seen the design for creatures. Why don't you work on the on the warriors? You know, like the Horus, the, the Anubis, all mm-hmm. those like armored warriors and the pharaoh. So he gave me that task and I said, wow, great, I'd love to do this. Then he took off for like about a week in Germany mm-hmm. or so, two weeks in Germany. Which, during those two weeks, I ended up painting those three characters. I did one shot at it, just one. And he came back and he loved them, which was unbelievable. And he said, this is great. That's what they should look like. Mm-hmm. I love them. He says, we are going to have to find someone to build those, uh, those, those costumes and those creatures. And this is where, I guess, was my second big turn in my career, when I said to him, well, I'll build them for you. He was like, what? You don't have a shot, do you? He says, no, I don't have a shot, but let me build them for you. And I, I don't know why I was so boldly uh, at the time, very naive about what it meant to build, you know, on such a big movie, uh, being able to not only design the creature, but build them. Yeah. But I, I just, you know, there's always been a bit of that in me, not because of, I, I, I'm so sure that I'm so good that I'm going to make it great. No, but I have a bit of a naive, uh, you know, I'm jumping. Oh, I think that's, like, that's huge, yeah. and I think that's very important in this business to be naive. Mm-hmm. Enough. Yeah, I think yes, I agree with you. Yes. I think it's uh, it's essential. It's it's too often extremely talented people end up uh, being worried and and they don't like, you know. I just I think that you know like naivety about and 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 just like say yo yeah yeah I'll do it yeah that kind of thing really served me well actually yes. really no, helped I, me I, position. I think it's very important in this business and it's and that like you were you were saying it's not like I'm trying to be a perfectionist and if I hand this over to someone they're going to screw it up it's more of like no I can do this like let me just dive in let me just do it yeah do you know what it's driven it's driven by passion yes yes what I had is that I had a lot of passion but also uh, even more than passion excitement I always had that I was like oh I'm jumping at it oh this is great so I need a Bottom line is he had turned around and he said, hey, why don't you uh, do it then? <laughs> so we got a space, we got, I, you know, the fact that I'd worked in Creature Effect prior to that, I called all my ex-buddies from the Creature world, mm-hmm. and they were all, yeah, we're going to work with you, it's going to be fun. I showed them the design, they loved them, and we started. And this was my first, uh, this is where I created my company for the first time, mm-hmm. and put my company together and build those creatures. That put me on the, on the, because people were saying, so who is this guy that's coming out of nowhere that's doing all the creatures for Stargate? Nobody knows him. He's unknown. Well, some people knew me, but <laughs> So it was a bit of an interesting thing. I just came out of nowhere. Thanks to, to Roland Emmerich, who just also was not worried and just, or was maybe worried, but he didn't make it sound like he was. He was like, you know, you do it. And I just, um, there's something about the man. I mean, I said this company was, the first company, Makeup Effect, gave me my very first shot. Yeah. My next big, insane shot and things that really put me on the map for good was, was uh, for good for a very long time was World Week and I can't thank those people enough because yeah okay I was doing some nice design and some nice ideas some nice but you know it, they gave me more than that yeah, you know yeah. they trusted me to go beyond just making nice illustration or making nice designs and that was huge so anyway so that, that was when I ended up finding myself um going into the creature world again, but this time with my company. Mm-hmm. And that became a bit of a path where I sort of like, uh, uh, you know, just, just concentrated on creature and some of the costume and the props. But the very interesting thing, and it's all linked together, 
in some ways. He's at the end of the film, or maybe a few months after one of them recalls me and he says, hey, come to the office today. I came to visit him and he said, we're making a movie. Our next movie is called Independence Day. He said, uh, when you did Stargate, uh, the, when I did Stargate, one on felt like my prop design, I designed some of the swords, some of the things, some of the javels of the of the characters, and they had a very special textures of like real lines that go across almost like meteorites and scratching the surface, that kind of idea. And that texture and that color and that that the the, the whole texture and, and 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 color range. Uh, world liked so much that he asked the designer to bring it into the world of the set. Hmm. So it was weird because he didn't come from the set. He came more from, from that kind of thing. For example, an, a, a funny little example. I designed a belt for the pharaoh, like a belt buckle. Mm -hmm. And it was like a huge scarab with wings like you find in Egypt. Mm -hmm. It was very curved and very organic and the scarab, he was supposed to be you know, on his ballet there, just beautiful, large-scale belt. And I remember sitting in a meeting and... Um, the art department was showing a bunch of spacecraft for the warriors to use to fight around, and they are—they were very much like spacecraft and cool looking, absolutely nice. And then uh, I came into the picture, and then, well, I showed Roland and said, "Well, here's the," he said, "Well, would you bring Patrick?" I said, "Here's the belt," and he looked at the belt and he said, well, "That should be the craft." So, I mean, he's, he's that kind of guy too. He's that kind of guy. He's just such a great vision. I, blows my mind. You look at there and he just grabs it the wrong way, I mean the wrong way, not the way it's meant to be grabbed, and he flies it across the table and he said, that's the spacecraft. And yeah. we're done. Yeah. So I think those little things in some ways made him feel like, hey, Patrick could be working in sets as well, it's very organic, uh, stuff is very organic, but it's... Um... So when Independence Day sort of came up, he, um, he already had worked with another a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, uh, Oliver Scholl, which had done some movies with Ronald as a concept artist. He basically put both of us as production designers on the, on the Independence Day movie. Mm. Very cleverly, I feel, because Emmerich knew that I was very organic and that probably better suited for the, the world of the aliens, when Oliver had also, Oliver's got multiple talent, but was really good at tech, mm -hmm. the high-tech world of maybe Area 51, and we ended up being like two big goofball of concept <laughs> artists projected in the world of production design. That is extremely exceptional and unheard of at the time. So, because neither he, uh, Oliver, or I were really production designer. We were just people with had ideas and came up with stuff. And so we had a, an amazing art director that came on board that basically was really seriously the backbone of all the art mm -hmm. department. And it was uh, Jim T. Garden. Mm. Jim T. Garden, another absolutely phenomenal human being, uh, because it was clear that he was a uh, he was the backbone. He was the reason why this whole thing functioned. Oliver and I were very much, uh, you know, extended concept artists. Oliver worked on the tech world, human, and I worked into the alien world. We had, the three of us, had the most amazing time. Because even on, even on Independence Day, you had a hand in developing the look of the creatures also, correct? Oh, not only that. I already had my company, like I told you, so the creature I designed the creature. Yeah. And this is why I actually ended up designing the spacecraft, the mothership, and all the interior of the spacecraft, all the world, uh, the attacker, and uh, all those things was my was the thing that I ended up doing. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but the alien sort of came very early. Same thing, Roland said, you should work with the alien. And uh, so I was basically designing the movie with Oliver, but I was also designing the creature and had my company build the creature, which was, I mean, it was wonderful. Uh, 
the other thing that I want to say that was really great with Oliver is, uh, although I was clearly the guy that was working on the set, on the alien world, mm-hmm. and he was clearly working more on the Area 51 and the tech stuff, we, we both look at each other's work and we both came up with ideas like sort of like, you know, it was, it was, there was clearly a line, a separation, and it was not dictated by the director, but naturally, uh, you know, when I was doing alien craft or alien creatures, I was more in the line of what Ron wanted. And Oliver was clearly doing great stuff for all this high-tech world. So we naturally sort of drifted each one into his own world, but we were communicating so well. This is how we became really great friends. Uh, because we both got projected at the same time in the same place. Well, it's a, it's a good thing because on a project like that, if you're not going to get along with the person that you're doing dual designing I with, know. that would have been awful. Obviously. That would have been awful. But you know, it, it's, easy, it's easy to see, and I know this has happened before where there's conflict, you know, because it's a job of responsibility. You're kind of driving, and then you have to kind of... So it's not always easy for people to, to be co-designer, like co-director. No, co-designer, it's not. All that. And, uh, and Oliver and I, this was not a choice that either one of us made. We could have been clashing. We could have both had slightly different personality and it could have been a, a nightmare. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But it was not, because I think one thing was clear for Oliver and I, we were both feeling extremely lucky first mm-hmm. to be in that crazy position. We uh, both felt we could be learning so much. And, uh, and you know, it just happened to have a... We just happened just to ha- work on the, like, biggest grossing time, film of the time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, what can I ask? Do what the what yeah. was the budget? Do you remember? I don't know. The budget yeah. of the film, the whole movie? Well, I I mean, I only know like it made like 50 million the first weekend out and that was like that broke like records and then it was like the second grossest highest film for I a long time. I don't remember if it was under it was like maybe it was in the 90s or something like that. Yeah. I think back then, yeah. Yeah, but, but again, I mean, um, what an experience, you know, I, yeah. I was just, uh, we were like, the thing about independence that was absolutely phenomenal to work, and I hadn't seen that before is, I could open the back door of my art department and being in the, on the stage where we were building the studio, where the construction shop, sorry, construction shop was right there, and then the miniature shop was right there, everything was right there, the only thing that was away was my uh, creature stuff, was somewhere else in the valley. That's really but nice. In the fact, <laughs> That's not usual you... these days. <laughs> No, it's not all, yeah, when you go to work in a studio, yeah, you have to walk to the stage. But yeah. this idea of being so connected together, so close, mm-hmm. and I think the miniature being in the same shot, the same giant space, we had to use airport, the uh, ex use airport, and we had the two big giant anger there to build the sets. And, but being in a place like that where you could walk like, like, for t- like 20 seconds and be in the middle of your construction or 20 seconds being in the middle of your your model making and yeah. everything. Expense of a lifetime, to me, that really set me up for the rest of what I've done after that because I learned so much there, thanks to Jim T. Garden, thanks to Emmerich, but also thanks to Oliver and vice versa. We all, we came out of this movie, we had really matured a lot. You know, we still love to design and do things, but we also learned the process so much more. And uh, the creature was an interesting uh, thing because and it's always a little thing I tell people is uh, I first designed a creature before I worked onto the, the, the craft because I believe, obviously, the creature, the being, creates the craft. If I don't know what the being looks like, mm-hmm. I can't create a craft. This is also being also my little uh, mentor to say that, you know, in some ways, in some ways, you be able to design.
design the, the creatures on the set sometimes is not completely weird. Is those if if the creative mind like you know many people have in Hollywood today is like being able to do like a creature first to understand what the cre- the being is and then going directly onto the the spacecraft they're coming with for example. Right. So it's is, creature is, and then environment when you're designing. And then environment for yeah. me it is that because the creature first of all what is the what is the uh, um, morphology of the creature what does it look like what is, you know is it an alien with one leg uh, you know whatever this has to define the cockpit of the craft obviously so i tackled on the on the alien first and the first job for the alien uh, for me was i did one alien design that was very much like um in the line of the grays which is the public uh, you know the, the popular imagery of aliens you know the grays have been seen for, for, you know, on sketches for like 200 years or more. And I thought I should do one that feels like that. Mm-hmm. So I did a design like that with a slightly different head, much bigger head, um, translucent thing, but I did that thing. And then I did another one that was much more, kind of would say, almost like amphibian, tall, um, more elegant, um, pointy head, a completely different, like not really respecting what people had seen and called alien before, something new. And I showed the two designs to him, Roland, and Roland looked at the two designs and he said, ah, you know what, I like both of them. <laughs> I said, okay, so, so what do we do? He said, he said, I have an idea. Why don't we put the small one and we start to talk maybe on some sort of a box behind the... Uh, and we talked for about 10 minutes and at the end he says, no, the small one is the alien. And on this planet, this alien is very fragile, cannot travel on its own, um, walk easily on its own because his legs are really weird and you know it's a, so to, to travel to, to come to her they, they, they live inside another alien being which is not the brain the brain is the one that's inside so the little gray looking alien became so your design i mean that's something that i have discovered so much in talking with production designers is how much of designs or say like this part of of designing an alien the story comes out of the design like it lend it starts to lend to the story it starts to lend to like i thought that was part of the alien like they said hey we're gonna have an alien inside of an alien can you design that but it no, didn't it no, came, no, no. yours <laughs> came first you know you're right i think it does happen like that sometimes sometimes yeah. you cannot driven in a corner with something and you have to do it that way yeah. but again there was there was a weirdly very open-minded, friendly atmosphere in this art department. We felt like we were doing, we didn't know we were doing that big a movie to start with. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a movie where we were all like together, a bunch of students putting something together. It may sound strange, but it wasn't far from that. Also, working with a director that really knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. Another thing about him is not every director out there is able to make a decision unless they see 20, 30, 40 concepts. I've, I've never done for a week more than two sketches for concept design. Again, not because I'm like genius, just because Roland explains so well where his head is at, and then he also lets you breathe. He lets you go. Yes, and you know, yeah. what comes back, he embraces. And because there's enough of what he was asking for. That's really and, respectable of the process because you can't have every answer right then and there. Like, let, let us go think. Let us go come back with like, okay, now this is this option. This is, this is what we can do. This is, this is an explanation of why it's this way. I mean, that's really smart and, and respectful of the design process. 
He's very, well, you know, Rob, the funny thing about him, he's always wanted to be a producer. I mean, he was always, I'm sure it changed now, but how successful the director he is. But his dream was to be a designer when he went, I think, in film school, even. That was his, that's what he wanted mm -hmm. to do. He's a guy with a great vision uh, that goes beyond just, you know, directing actors and things. He's, he's a man of, of vision, a large-scale vision. He's always been that. So, you know, he explains well what he's interested in. And also, he, he, like again, so the idea of this alien inside another alien was not in the draft. It was just us sitting down around a table and he just, you know, Ron and I, and he just said, well, you know what, let's put it inside. He, he traveled and this whole thing sort of like, I'm sure we interchange ideas together. I just don't want to make sound that, that I was just sitting there not talking. But he drove that. He drove this thing because as a director, he could have said, you know, let's take that one. Let's develop that one for another five months and then we'll figure out what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It was not like that. Those two aliens were, as far as he was concerned, were designed. I just had to figure out a way to, to integrate the small one to the big one. And is your, and, um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but on IMDb, they have sketches of the alien. These are your sketches? Do you know? Oh, they're very simple. What sketches? They're mine. Yes. Yes. Oh, beautiful. I mean, I th oh, I'm I'm so glad that they're on here, so I can see the process of it, and that's awesome. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. Back then, back then, Independence Day was markers, pencils, and uh, there was no Photoshop. There was none of that. You know, obviously, we're not doing any of that today. When you look at the concept artwork, it's done in 3D. It's lit. It's unbelievably yeah. realistic. Well, if the stuff I do today is nothing to do with what I did back then. What I still do today is whatever design film I'm doing, I always start with sketch on paper. Mm -hmm. And I just not, not do that. First of all, when we when this is all over and if one day there's a big uh, crazy thing and all the computers do you know everything yeah, the data I know. you have nothing palpable. <laughs> you have nothing. I yeah I mean, we won't even have movies uh, in a sense because everything's yeah, digital exactly. now. I mean everything's on digital. I look at all the work yeah. that we do that doesn't, there's no, you can't touch it anymore. And there is no value for uh, pieces that an artist does, except for the fact that, you know, you, for example, so an artist in the past would build things, they would keep things somewhere, uh, you know, given to the studio, by the studio to them, so it would be part of their legacy or something, they would own some of the work. It was some, some way for an artist to build up some sort of like, um, you know, uh, library of their work yeah, and something they yeah. could to their family or whatever they wanted to do. This thing has gone. The, yeah. the amazingly beautiful work you see on the on the concept art, if they're not on paper, they're just digital. They have no, I mean, the only thing you can get is a print. So I've really made this my thing and today, you know, till I'm done doing design, I will always do the sketch. Like the Batmobile, my first design was a sketch. Uh, and that sketch is now very special. It was drawn on a, on a, on a Starbucks uh, <laughs> napkin. Quickly, I went to <laughs> Starbucks to do the design. Yeah, when uh, Zack Snyder told me, uh, you know, can you, we need a new Batmobile. I went right away. I got a coffee, sat down, got a napkin, and sketched out the Batmobile. And he saw that. That's the first thing he saw. We said, yes, that's it. We do it. It was crazy. And so that little sketch I have still, and it's it's not special because of me it's special because it's the Batmobile yeah <laughs> but, yeah it is it's pretty special to a lot of people to be quite honest yeah I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, quite, the fandom you know, when, is when unbelievable about the sketch on, uh, on, on Stargate they were quite uh, they were quite quite simple I mean they were just sketch pencil bit of marker the thing and um, there was no elaborate concept out done for like weeks after weeks you know it was really 
again, credit to Warhol. He knew what he wanted, and he saw a sketch, and he got it. And then we could develop directly into the sculpting of my creature shop. We would start sculpting mm -hmm. the creature, did some paint samples. Rather than doing all that as a concept, we knew the form. We knew, mm -hmm. to me, the form is the most important thing. The form, the proportions were there. We knew what the alien looked like. We would not develop it as a concept art. We would develop it right away as a sculpted piece. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing, when you're designing like uh, Batman versus Superman or Justice League and you're designing like the Metropolis, are you inspired by the comic books? Are you looking into like city planning? Because you're part of that whole look of like the, their city that they're flying through and not only the immediate architecture that they're in, but this gigantic city or world you're creating. You do. Okay. But to tell the truth, the director will drive you where we're going with the, the aesthetic of the movie. World well, like, uh, Frank was is a big Frank Miller uh, oh, okay. uh, fan. Mm -hmm. Frank Miller for 300, you know, Frank Miller did 300. Yeah. Uh, Zack Snyder directed the movie, but yeah. And uh, his version of Batman uh, versus Superman, his Superman was already created in Man of Steel, but when he did Batman, he had looked toward uh, Frank Miller for the design. Um, I wouldn't say the design, but the sense. Frank Miller had made a bolder, strong, badass, big dude, uh, yeah. a little older Batman, and that's what Zack wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So once you get that kind of Batman, not so much because, you know, Frank Miller has a very clean and gorgeous style, but it's not the detail of the still don't really know what the city completely looks like if you have a general vibe for it. So there was two things, you know, like you do in any art department, there's a decision of where we're going to shoot this, and Detroit felt like the right place for us. And for me, it was like, it has to be Detroit. There's something about Detroit that's absolutely perfect for the movie. Mm. So once we knew it was Detroit, my whole design of the city was based on the concept of Detroit. It will not be Detroit, it'll be Gotham. Gotham. But that, mm. that whole, so the aesthetic, the buildings, the, the era, all those things, the way uh, the, the, the city sort of functions, like you do on any movies, you know, we know this sequence is a chess sequence and we'll shoot it there. We know that. Then we know that the whole ending sequence is mostly CGI. We set build on stage. Mm -hmm. This is going to be located here. On every one of those movies, Justice League, Batman, Superman, there's entire maps. Uh, which I don't think is exceptional. I think it, I'm sure a lot of the art department do that. But uh, entire map of the entire, almost like a Google map. That's sort of awesome. Thing. That shows, <laughs> yeah, that shows you where everything is. And then, to be frank, uh, we start building portions that are necessary in the computer the CGI because we don't need the entire city. Those wide shots are just, yeah, you know, we know. Nobody builds every street of the set of a world like that, of that scale. So then we know based on the movie where we need to develop specifically a connection between one set to uh, one location to another one in the story. And, but it was all gravitating around more like the, the impression we had. And that was my first time in Detroit when I scouted it. Mm -hmm. I really love the city. I love what it feels. I love the fact that it's, uh, it's gutted. Yeah, yeah, Buildings gutted. are gutted. Yeah. <laughs> but we want to be more realistic. So the realisms, it means if 
substantial amount of location for the street chase and stuff like that, we knew this had to drive a little bit of aesthetic. So my, my thing for me was the rooftop are going to be different. We're going to use the ground part of the city as Detroit, and we're going to ex yeah, obviously extend and create more building. But then once you go to the top of the building, there's some some, some signature things that are different that you don't. Um, one thing I wanted to do that ended up costing too much money, I wanted to have a, a fire escape on every building, but not just on one side, like packed with fire escapes. So it's kind of crazy, almost like a scaffolding of fire oh, yeah. escapes everywhere. And you know, those are the cool ideas you have at the beginning. We put it in concept art. Mm. We loved it. And then, you know, it goes, the movie goes on and there's some of those things. <laughs> you're, look, you're, looking up at, yeah, you're looking up at your wall like five months into it and you're like, oh yeah, remember when I really was in love with that <laughs> sofa? Where did that, oh, yeah, no, no. I forgot about that. You know, <laughs> right. We end up, we, we do, we do go sometimes much further from that we end up, uh, you know, it's for multiple reasons, you know, obviously budget being the main one, and where do we spend the money? Where does it make sense to spend yeah. money? Is that make sense? Yeah. Does that change up? But there are little things for, more for the designer and the team that you wish you could have pushed all the way. And, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. You, know, I you, guess, you gotta let uh, go, though, sometimes, because then there's yeah, a bigger absolutely. fire to, to put out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So when you started on Batman versus Superman, did you know that that Justice League was coming up, that that would you would again no. be put you didn't know okay because i'm wondering when you no, were city absolutely. planning were you looking ahead to where like oh the aquaman like we'll get to that like i didn't know if you had a, any uh advance no or... there was no okay the, the batman superman was a movie about batman and superman so right. we knew we had little glimpses here and there of a you know the flash uh, wonder woman ends up being quite prominent in there but 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 the actual the actual real world uh, of those characters and, you know, sort of really came when we did Justice League. I'd, we had no idea, at least I didn't. I mean, maybe Zach already had a plan and he was saying, but he didn't actually, you know, mention it to us. So we really worked in the concept of bringing Gotham and Metropolis together. That was our main goal. Mm -hmm. What beyond that? You know, think about it. Those, those two places are places where those zero are, are, we met them in our map quite close to each other with a big large body of water in between. So they're not, oh, you know, like on the other side of the planet. Right, no. And then you have, uh, you have Wonder Woman who comes from an island somewhere, you know? Yeah. And then you have, uh, yeah, yeah, the Flash is living in another city, like in mid-America almost, that kind of thing, which is not. And then Cyborg is also in Metropolis and Gotham. And so all those characters, when they came, sort of came and they're not in their city per se. If they are, they have a, like you know, a cyborg at an apartment in Gotham with his dad, and you know, and we saw that. But you know, so it could be integrated to our world. But some other characters came from another world, so they just come here as tourists. <laughs> you know, they come here <laughs> they're to visiting. <laughs> they're visiting. So we didn't have to worry about what. I, I, seriously, again, we never really talked about. Uh, yeah. I didn't know if it was connected. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, obviously, you don't need that. You're in a. You're in a different world anyway. But I didn't know if as uh, if you had that just inkling of like, oh yeah, and then eventually, well, this is this building's over here because, you know, that's where uh, Wonder Woman lives or something. <laughs> like, no. Yes. No, and you know, you're absolutely right. I see what you're saying. That that would be important in a situation where it's obvious. You know that. Yeah. You know, this is a big going back. Uh, but the Batcave, for example, mm -hmm. Batcave, you know, I build 
the bad cave and uh, this was like gigantic set based on two stages in Detroit. It was huge. We built the bad cave yeah. and we don't see too much in a movie, unfortunately. Uh, you know, for, because the story doesn't lead you there, so there's no complaining. But just, you know, there was a lot of things you could not see in a movie because there was no time to visit the entire thing. We ended up building something crazy. But, I think, though, example, Batman's closet is always, like, something... Like, whenever the superhero goes into their closet, or they're in their lair, I always... That's yeah. what people want to see. It's like, that's... I do. Yeah. I agree with you, Lisa. This is one where you're also from the, the world of, uh, you know, our department, and so we, we feel that way. Yeah. I feel, I think, the, 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 the fans out there obviously want to see their hero more than anything. But they won't, in the case of Batman, the world he lives in, his gadgets, his thing, this is part of Batman. So, yeah. you know, we really developed that world intensively. And again, this is another situation where the way this will fall out from the glass house, from the manor, the right. glass house, and, and, uh, and, um, and the cave underneath the glass house, all this will so fall out to a level that you don't even scratch the surface in a movie. And, and that's okay. I mean, I'm just saying this is okay because we cannot go loosely when we design those things because if the situation comes that suddenly something needs to happen, we have to make sense of everything. That makes sense of everything is not always necessary for the audience to, 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 you know, to be sharing. Right. They're living... Uh, and, and this is where, you know, you, know, you hear sometimes the frustration because you're like, wow, we built so much. With, you know, yeah. we don't see it. And it's, it's, fair, it's fair frustration, but at the same time, uh, it's the business, the way the... the, the it also it, it's also the editing of the story and sometimes they yeah. want to focus more on the the Lex Luthor character and and they got Absolutely. a good response for that and that's why we kept that scene in and cut this and it's so out of our hands at a certain point it sucks. This is very interesting. Now I'm going to go back to Independence Day for a second for this kind of situation talking about cutting. Yeah. Uh, where it gets really more frustrating uh, and that's also nobody's fault per se. Is for example, I'm going to give you a specific situation. We we had designed that um, that alien spacecraft that Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum take uh, mm -hmm. into space. This thing was built from scratch, completely sitting on stage. All the interior of the craft was actually built inside the craft, so it actually was all contained. We had had designed uh, had designed chairs that they were chairs for the aliens. So those chairs were not made for humans. They would be like they were like weird organic chairs. So when when we filmed the movie, we captured that craft. The craft is in Area 51. You see technicians coming in there and removing those alien chairs, and they replace them with ejectable seat chairs for our pilot now, the humans. That little sequence, which is, is a great, great point. It's a great point. <laughs> yes. It's a great point. It's actually something we all really wanted to show. But then, with the pacing of the movie and everything, that sequence, the sequence got canned. And so, I've had, you have not many, many people, have, maybe, maybe not <laughs> thousands of people, but a lot of people have told me, dude, the craft is great, but the chairs, I don't understand. They're like human chairs. Why are they human chairs? And I told everybody I could. Yeah. Now, this was... <laughs> yeah. There's a, 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 because it's actually dangerous to do this because it's still part of the believability of the craft. Is this, is this making... Why would that chair look like this? I don't see exactly. anything like this. Exactly. It was all worked out in everybody's mind. I mean, in, in Roland's mind as well. He approved that chair. I guess, you know, in the, in the cutting table, in the editing room at the end, many other things are more important than that chair. Yeah. And that's maybe something you need to... Uh, so that's a little frustrating for the designer. Yeah, I, we, I've, I've run into it where it's like, okay, well, 
it, this set, it's, it should be like really down, even though this rich person lives there. It should be really down because she inherited from her aunt and they don't want to miss. And it's sort of like, well, that's never in dial. No one knows that. Like no one knows that, but you or the writer or the director saying it, that's not, it's not going to be explained. And then if it is, I swear nine times out of 10, it gets cut. And then, you know, you're looking at this set as a viewer thinking, why is it like that? Why is this rich person in this really living in this really down place? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's happened. Exactly. It's happened more than I'd like to say. Of like, you're accepting something that you're designing or decorating something based on a plot point or something that sometimes never gets explained to the audience. And exactly. yeah. yeah. It's, it's a problem, happens sometimes, and, and again, everybody will tell you at the end, if, if the movie is pacing and the story is great, I think this is going to be a lesser issue, and I understand that. I, I, you know, I'm totally, like, understanding the, it, It's like everybody working on the film are trying to do the best they can, Absolutely. they're trying to bring most they can on the, on the, on the table, and often those, those things you drop actually really appeal to the director, and they love it, but, you know, there's a moment where you're not in a movie anymore, yeah. where there's again, there's better reason to get rid of something and not be worrying about that because the the story told uh, is, is the main thing, yeah. obviously. Okay, then you turn it around, if that sequence is boring and whatever, people would say, well, okay, cool, I saw the seats, but really, the movie sits. <laughs> At that point, there's not yeah. much going on. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, so, you know, understandable. In the dream world, this would all fit together perfectly. Like, yeah. Perfect. It's all of our director's cuts. There needs to be like a production designer's cut on, <laughs> on films. So just be, and, and then the commentary. It would be no pacing whatsoever. No, no. <laughs> the story would probably make no sense. It would just be these wide shots. You'd never... Exactly. <laughs> um, let me ask you, because I should have started, which I'll, I will start in the very beginning. Um, you're nominated for an ADG award. You're nominated for a British Film Designers Guild Award for Maleficent this year, which is so beautifully done. And um, in the last week, I've watched it twice because my twin started to watch it. And I was like, you're not really allowed to watch this, but I'm going to let you look a little bit. <laughs> so, oh, but, there's some cute stuff for them. Oh, yeah. The little fairies. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's great. Um, I loved uh, Queen uh, Ingrid's Closet. <laughs> I mean, I think Me that's... Me too. Okay, think, it's on my favorite sets. Yeah, I we, mean, forget about everything else. Who doesn't want that closet? So, uh, how many stage... Were you building a lot of stages? Like, what is your percentage of stage versus, um, like, the, the animation of it or the, the um, CGI of it? No, where I'm going to try to figure out a way hopefully we'll come up with a book because we actually build gigantic sets. Yeah, it looked like, I mean, that dining yeah. hall, the the top of the castle, I mean... Yeah, those, those, yeah. those are... Uh, the dining hall is, as you see it in the movies, where it was built. We didn't build the ceiling because when I decided to play with the castle exterior, which, by the way, uh, it's a fantasy piece, it's a period piece, but I wanted to look, I also to look to the director saying it would be great if it's not a real gothic ancient castle but we do it like almost a revival gothic so he gave us an opportunity to play with square towers different things i just thought that was interesting and he liked the idea so we did this now that castle is absolutely humongous 
Yeah. And that was a choice from the director. Joachim says, let's keep making it bigger, bigger. To the point where everybody was looking at us like, dude, this is so <laughs> big. We need elevators in this thing, which technically you probably would have needed elevators. And this is even one more idea we brought up. I said, you want me to create some cool, like, rope thing with, like, nice, elegant, golden, blah, blah. Elevators, we don't have to use them, but they're there, so we know they're there. He said, ah, forget it. But, you know, oh anyway, God. it was... That's so, great. so So this, this was... Uh, we were really cool, but the thing is, so obviously we didn't build a castle, but the, the garden, for example, were designed yeah. like those uh, French gardens, they're like repeated patterns. So we could build a gigantic garden, I mean, outdoor, gigantic, which was like like one-tenth, not even, like, you know, one-thousandth of the size of the garden in a movie, but that was enough for us to create a large-scale garden that could mm-hmm. be reproduced multiple times. So that was the garden. The town, we built a big chunk of, we built all we needed from the town, obviously no, no rooftop and thing. We had a portion of the river built with the town. So we could have a direct interaction between water, town, and the camera could play between those two elements. Uh, the interiors, yes, the, the main hall, um, the factory was actually partially built because we only have one or two shots where you see the white shots. So those were elements that were multiplied. Uh, the bridge that the Queen in Greece travels, uh, and uh, the lair, the lair of the little, the nest of origin. Was that what it's called? No, no, no. I was thinking. Uh, oh, the, the lair. The oh, yes, the yes. The tree of the the pixie. The, yes, the little, pixie, the little guy that has them all in yeah. jars. Yes. I gotta say something for once, and it doesn't always happen. I was very, very pumped the way Joachim cut that sequence because for a moment in a movie, it becomes very rich um, design-wise. And it's, you always get that. You get into a set, you sit there, you talk, blah, blah, you leave, you get to another one. Or there's other sequence where you go through five sets at the same time and probably have no idea what's going on. Right. But at the pacing, when the queen is listening to, uh, I think she's listening to the king, and turns around, so we're in the king's bedchamber, which we build, obviously, and the corridor. She turns around in the corridor, and then you see her walking to um, uh, to her cl- dressing room. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then from the dressing room, she goes down the stairs. From down the stairs, she goes across the factory, uh, which we call the factory, and then she goes on to this little laboratory. And this was coming to me in an extremely, uh, at least, you know, as a designer, having designed those sets, I felt... It was such a beautifully organic transition of different mm-hmm. worlds. Mm-hmm. And it gets clean, darker and darker. And darker. Yes. Meaning the bowel of this castle, the idea, which of course was not explained in the movie, is like there used to be another castle like Romanesque down there, which got destroyed and then the big castle, the See? new one. See, the audience doesn't know this. They don't know. <laughs> We're designing and decorating things the audience doesn't know and then you hopefully exactly. it all comes together. <laughs> Yeah, you know, people think, oh, they're going into the basement of the castle. Uh, yeah. But the thing we did, which people, we start from like a Gothic style up there to a Romanist style, which are two very different styles. Romanist being an earlier style from the Gothic style. So for people that obviously are interested in architecture and thing or interested in art history, they could see those details. I mean, we want them to be there and we hope people can notice them. If they don't, they don't. The story yeah. is not about the architecture, you know, again. But uh, this sequence for me was so great because of that, because in, a, in like in the space of like, what, 30 seconds, you had walked through all those worlds. And that, to me, made me feel, wow, now I see the world. I see the world was created and it's, it's moving so beautifully and organically. Yes. I was very happy. Beautiful, beautifully done. I mean, just, I think, too, what I see 
just trying to watch it as a viewer is the especially that scene or then when you look at um where all of the maleficence i don't know what their names uh-huh. are when they, where they live like the textures are different oh, and then they live like in this more nature world and it's the hard versus the soft and nature versus architecture like it's just so beautifully done in the film i mean what i when they go into that one scene and they you have those hanging pods that um the families are living in i just think it was yeah. gorgeous i was like oh my god it's an airbnb it's <laughs> sign me up airbnb that's a good one sign uh, me up i'll i'll take that for a weekend <laughs> it was fantastic but you know you know the the big thing for me uh, it was to do okay now so you know it's very important to, to bring this up it reminded me a bit of independence day where the first thing I designed in the movie were the phase and the, the main set. My first art department was here in LA at Disney Studio. I had, I had worked as much on the fake creatures as I did work on the set at the early stages of the film. We went through so many different incarnations of the creatures. There were different uh, ideas. You know, Joachim had a certain idea, uh, Angelina had another idea. Uh, and and that's, that's part of the way, you know, we present things. Uh, but we got finally, at the end, after months of development, to this place. One of the early ideas of, uh, of the phase is like, you know, uh, we, we, we all come from a cradle of humanity somewhere in Africa, we think, you mm-hmm. know, I'm pretty much sure. And then we started to migrate and, and uh, around the world and blah, blah, blah. I'm reading a lot of things about human evolution right now and I'm loving that stuff. I'm not going to get onto that because it's not the point. <laughs> but basically we traveled the world and then we were, you know, evolution, uh, uh, we did sort of change because of the environment, the weather and everything. We're thinking the phase is the same. So the concept Sapiens? of the was... Is that what you're reading? I read that book. Is that... Oh, no, not this one. No, no, oh, no. Oh. no, no. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's good. I heard, yeah. I heard about that one as yeah, well. Yeah. No, this one, so, so the thing is the same story. We, the, the island, you see them at the beginning, the whole thing is this island was there. This is where they were born. This is where the species, this is the cradle of the, the fair world. They were probably more primitive back then. They were more birds than men or whatever. And suddenly a volcano exploded like Atlantis. The volcano exploded. This is the look of the island. The island looks like that because I thought it'd be great. Uh, that when the volcano explodes, it solidifies during the eruption and it becomes this uh, energized-looking island because it's almost like if you freeze frame on a volcano in the middle of an eruption, you would get the look of the island. Um, uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Gershenbaum, uh, one of the producers, talked to me about this kind of idea and we talked about it and I thought it was amazing. It was fun. So we had an island like that. So imagine those, those creatures now travel around the world because the explosion of the island. Some die on the mm-hmm. island and some travel the world. Some go in colder region, some go in forest, deciduous forest, some go in jungles, some go uh, in Arctic, mm-hmm. in uh, the desert. So those creatures have gone around the world, but they're being hunted, chased by humans and things, and they all come back to the original island. In this island, there is something great. If you, because the environment around the island is very cold, at the top, close to the entrance of the, of the island, it's cold. This is where the tundra phase will live. They're closer to the exterior, which is constantly cold. And as you go down in the shaft of this island, you go to all the warmer, because you get closer to the earth. Right. This is kind of the concept of that. So they found their world. They brought their thing. They're just trying to live in this place, which is basically the, the 
place of origin, where they came from. They're back there, but you know they're not meant to be there. They're meant to be in the in the moors with the fey world and thing, but they're there. And so this whole idea was developed on that. And the fact that they're as bird as men in some ways, mm-hmm. I thought the, the habitat should be nest. Then we started to study nest. Uh, you know, to draw birds, the nest and the color of their feathers, the the, the shape of the of their body. Um, like for example, um, uh, this is just for big winged or desert birds. For example, they're always in those tan color, like the vultures and things. And they have very broad wings, so they glide and they can see the prey. You go to the jungle, you take the parrot or the aras and things like that. They have short wings and very long tail. All those things are of the. I've got thousands, thousands, thousands of uh, designs for all those types of Isn't it amazing the things that we have to study and look into? And and I I love it. I'm always so grateful. I would never have taken an interest in whatever this month if it wasn't for this project. Like, I I love it, too. I love, love, love to do research. I do, too. I mean, it's such an important part. And you're right, you're right. You get to find yourself in a corner, and suddenly there's a concept out there, and you have to, you want to know about those things. You want to learn, and you want to be clever about it. Okay, yeah. they are birds, they are men, so there's something of a mess would be a great idea for them to live. They're more primitive and, and primeval than we are. And so the nest, so like you say, like army and be a thing, it's like the, the nest, the nest was the, the concept of the habitat. So now it's great when you travel through the cave. I gotta say, by the way, all this great backstory and all that stuff was not completely in the original shoot of the movie. It was a little bit more brushed by. And I think the, uh, one of the cuts happened and the studio and everybody actually looked at it and said, we need to know more about the phase in the island. And I go- went back for a reshoot uh, this last year. And la- Uh-oh. Hello? Uh-oh. Hello? Okay, you went, uh, it broke up a little. You went for a, a reshoot this year. So I went, basically I went back to London last year for a reshoot. And the reshoot was actually not a reshoot because pieces were not right in the movie or whatever. This, the movie was quite great. But we had that decided, the studio decided, and, and Joachim and, and Angelina, that we needed to see more of the inside of the cave. We were not seeing enough. And the reshoot was only based, all the stuff you see in that trip, basically jumping from the, the nest, to the to the to the world, we ended up going back there to to design this and develop every aspect of that trip she's doing through the cave to yeah. discover those worlds. Because it, was, it felt like we need to know more about them. They are just uh, mysterious. It's great, but we need to have an explanation of where they come. So that became the reason of the reshoot. It's not a reshoot actually. To extended photography, I would call it, because in this case, we didn't reshoot. We just added. Yeah. That's beautifully done, and and I think a, an enjoyable part of the movie. I think it, yeah. it's, it's a great little segment of the movie where you you get into her world a little bit. Which, I mean, yes. she's why we are there. She's why you're watching that movie. I uh, for me, <laughs> it's fascinating enough. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, do you or can you say like how much the budget was for production design, the art department in that film? Well, you know, it was in the, in pounds. I can't really tell you. I don't want to say something stupid, but you know, it's uh, it was conservative. We had to be clever. Yeah. It was not like all over the board, and uh, and and some decision I can say, which to me more appropriate, even would say that uh, decisions were made by Joachim, our director, to go take more money from VFX to a certain extent or whatever, just make sure there was enough for the sales that he wanted. Yeah. He was the big, you know. 
I, I just work with Zack Snyder prior to that. Was, Zack Snyder knows to use the VFX. I mean, so does Joachim, but he is ready to have smaller sets. Mm-hmm. And I've expanded in many people. Joachim is a man that comes from a world of sets, and he wants his sets. And he wants his sets to be large-scale because he doesn't want to compromise. So with Joachim's support and Joachim will of making this the movie he wanted to shoot, we built big large sets. That was for him. Right. There was probably ways... But, you know, you had to make compromise. You had to work with visual effects and just make sure some of that money goes back to the art department to get that and that and that. And obviously, when you build the main hall all together, there's not much visual effect extension in this thing, except when you look at the ceiling that's like, you know, 50 feet in the air. Yeah. Once every, uh, you know, I mean, once in a while, or maybe, you know. But most of the time, he was able to shoot the whole thing without seeing that ceiling. And uh, he made that choice. And for us, what a great thing. Yeah. Once we're able to build more and just rely less on green screen. We did have green screen, obviously, you know, with the exteriors and all that stuff, but but Joachim was really pushing for, 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 for both, both sets, angles covered, so he can... He's also a man that's just, you know, he's very prepared, but he also likes to do things on the day, on the set. Mm. So just do that's it scary. Just, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that's scary, but the thing, the reason that makes it less scary is because he knows, he knows... He knows he's going to want to do that in that set. So you build a set. Yeah. Rather than saying, hey, let's build three walls, oh, four walls, we don't see. It's going to be a green screen, which costs you money as well, by the way. Joachim said, let's build a set. Let's build a set and let's build this. I, can you build me this as well? Because I will. And he's actually one of the, the strongest point of uh, Joachim is to me is his uh, is sense of angle and camera. I mean, he's, he's a great director, super creative, but he's also got something. He's a... Uh, he manipulates the camera very well. His angles are very powerful, very strong, very clever. He uses the world and he just plays with it. And he just, I mean, he uses everything. I mean, it's beautiful and, uh, films. I mean, they're... Really rewarding. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Now, you also uh, direct a little bit. You're also in that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> one of your many other credits is directing. I mean, how do you, do you like, obviously you like it. <laughs> is that... Well, you know, listen... All of us working in an art department, you know, the, the world of directing, I'm just going to have to be careful what I'm saying, but at the end of the day, what is the difference between directing and designing? Is the directing, you have to have a vision. Uh, it's very hand-in-hand. Hand. It's very hand-in-hand. Yeah. Hand. It's Absolutely. You yeah. have to have a vision. You have to know how to work with teams. You have to know how to, uh, because you have a vision, be able to talk to different teams, costume designer, your, your, your art department, your... Uh, editor, everybody. It's about being able to bring out your vision and help people understand it so they can help you. But there's a bit of that in the art department. The big difference between directing to me and, uh, and our department is the actors. That's a world that's completely different. Right, so right. for me, the, by, by actors, I mean, this is a different group of people. You don't work with a technician in the art department the way you work with an actress or an actor. Uh, they have a different sensibility. They're very sensible. Uh, they're obviously, they're very exposed. They're people that bring everything. You know, we're, we're hidden behind computer designing stuff. Concept artist is not that exposed. Well, we all expose ourselves in some ways. But So that was something for someone like me that I just had to kind of understand. And my first experience was actually uh, the Underworld movie, the, the third one. Mm-hmm. And didn't take me too much, but I found the pre-production like a ride in the park. I had a blessed time. When my first actors came, I realized that some actors are actors you're going to be working It's going to be fabulous. And some other actors, you're going to have to be a little bit, I'm not going to say names, but some actors, you're going to have to do a little bit more effort. You're going to have to get them in the right place. And, you know, I'm not Spielberg. It's not like I've done 50 movies and I'm like, you know, I was a beginner. And obviously, 
you have to prove yourself. You have to prove them that you know what you're doing. Trust. And you gotta, you gotta get that trust in there. I think with you gotta get that trust. So yeah. they challenge you. They're clever. They challenge you. They're like, hey, I don't understand. Why should I be doing this? And you have to be ready. Bottom line. But I love the job because to me, and we've talked about that. To me, you know, it's like we said, you know, as a designer, you plus all, as a designer, and I'm not saying this to be humble, but as a designer, we're not making our movie. We know we're doing the movie of a director. Yeah. That's suppose that is his vision. It's the vision of the director you bring on the table. The, you can be the you know whatever designer you are. You are going to bring ideas. You're going to develop things. You make things look great. But at the end of the day, it's not your film. It's the film of the director. Right. So what it means is that vision is more global. You're doing a part of it. There's costume you're not touching, or there is something you're not touching. There's a DP. There's a way it's shot. It's not you. I mean, you work with all those teams, but you're not. You're not working on organizing this world like an orchestra director well the director does that I mean a good director does that and to me it's exciting for everybody that does what we do is give you one more layers of I would soon use the word cultural but one more layer to be able to express yourself on what you want to say what what you want the movie to be so it's absolutely phenomenal it is hard to get movies as a director because you can be after I did The Underworld, I, I developed a few movies, and you know, and you develop for a year, year and a half, suddenly the production shuts down, uh, whatever right. something happened. Uh, I won't get into detail, but you find it's such a hard thing. When we are designers, or set decorators even more so, we get cool when the movie is going. Right. You know, yeah. maybe uh, set decorator probably even more. Yeah. The designer can sometimes hang for beginning and something else. But we're here, so we have a job. We jump from one job to another job, or more or less. The director, you can work for like a year, two years on a movie. You, you have, uh, you have four. You, you became super close to your character. The characters, I never knew this would be something I would feel when the first. So movie. immersed into you immersed that them. side. You know, they're like, they're yeah. Friends. Yeah. The friends are like relationship that you have with those characters. That to me was like. I had no idea. I could have never talked the way I'm talking to you. About it. And then suddenly someone tells you, well, the money went, uh, we don't have the money, dude, sorry, it's not happening. The, <laughs> the empty, the void that you have in your body was, I, it shocked me. My first time I was like, oh my God. And so of course I had to learn that this could happen many other time. And you have to learn to still be extremely passionate and sort of distance yeah. yourself a little bit. And it takes time and it hurts every time, but you deal. So this is the problem, you know. Uh, I think when you're a young, creative person, you're in the industry, and you do your first movie at 18 years, 19 years old, you know, you can, like, work on noodles and figure it out. I mean, you don't need to make a living to that level. You stay at some front. When you have a career already, and now you get offered a movie, and you can't stop everything. I can't stop the production design to direct. Right. Um, meaning, meaning, I can stop if the directing goes, then I go, I do this. But the problem is you cannot, you, you have to, you have, you have a way of living, you have to take care of yourself, you have yeah. family. Your life, it's you lot, have to have your life too. It's, it's a lot harder, and yeah. this is why it's harder for directors that start later in a career to direct. Uh, I'm not saying systematically like that, you maybe goes, you maybe super talented or whatever, something goes and it kicks in and you, but it's a very hard. Um, it's very hard, well, it's very hard to jump very, very hard. into different departments and, and I think I think that's one of the things uh, with with you. You have so many different, like from creatures to designing to 
art director to you have costume design and wardrobe department and producer and actor and you've I mean you've have so much you must have so much passion for film that you just want to be a part of it and it it just seems to me that you you just want to be in it in any way you can and you you obviously are so amazing like talented that you've been able to be a part of 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 some and and lend your talents to these films and make them great and that's that's amazing. I thank you for that because look, I saw Independence Day twice in the theater. I appreciate that and that's that's influential as someone who wants to be a part of film and and television. Like seeing that work and being like, "Wow, who did that? Like that's crazy. Like look at that alien. Look at that spaceship. Like who knew it was a belt buckle? Like it's amazing." <laughs> That's we first of all, thank you for for saying all that, especially you in the industry yourself. You know, you've done tons of stuff as well. But I'm just saying, one thing interesting about a couple of days ago, I saw an interview of David Lynch and about his filmmaking and thing. And I was actually extremely surprised how he would talk about filmmaking, but also art hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you something. As you said, you know, my passion, my passion, I don't, I'm not sure my passion is for filmmaking. My passion is for expressing um, you know, expressing art, expressing uh, visions. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So I, I found myself gone into the world of, of I, I didn't do film school. I didn't do any of that. I came, I was an illustrator. I was a painter. I, was a, I, I did, you know, murals in Europe. I did waste motorcycle. I thought I was going to do that and no, never art stuff. I waste motorcycle for most of my life. And that was my, that's still my thing. I'm still crazy about motorcycles. Mm-hmm. So just to tell you that the film and of course, it has become my home, and I love it, and I just love what it gives me and what I can do with it. But this was never truly the intent. Yeah. My intent was like, I, when I came to America for the first time, I was like, wow, look at these creatures in the movie The Thing. They're like, this is mad. I want to do that. And then, oh, look at this world there. I want to make a drawing of that. It was not really because the end, the end of all was like a film. It was not my thing. And... Today, it's still about expressing myself. And obviously, I've been in this industry for a while, and it has become my, my tool of politician. But I still, this is why I guess I'm bouncing from, from uh, you know, production design to maybe directing to maybe uh, costume design for this, or creature stuff, you know, and I'm doing all that because they're all about expressions and uh, ideas, and I love ideas, I love ideas. Yeah. And, the movie is one place where you can combine many of your ideas and work with a team of people uh, that you really love to. Like, I mean, I love working in the morning in the art department. I know it's, yeah. I'm sure I like that. But to me, I, I really want to keep the atmosphere. Because we're the only ones there right. now. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're there. And you, you, I want to walk in there and just enjoy seeing the people there. I want them to be happy in there. I don't want... Uh, I don't like to work under massive pressure. I never create pressure on my people. You can ask around. This is my thing. <laughs> I want a smile. I want people to have a good time because I believe people will have a good time. I know there's all the schools. There's schools that says you know people need to be pushed to the. No, need to be it's good people, and and I feel like yeah. I I have definitely learned that. Uh, uh, there's sometimes it's like, well, you know what? I'll get to work with this designer. I'll get to work. You know, the project becomes secondary to my work environment. I'm, I'm like that. And you yeah. know, I see, I see more and more now. We just finished Maleficent like, you know, like, almost like a year and a half ago, then the reshoots. 
those people in England are calling, they're reaching out, they say, hey, I heard you may be coming. Uh, <laughs> I know they have other op options. What a better, I mean, really, at the end of the day, what do I want to be remembered to have being a cool designer to work for? Yes. That's kind of what I mean. And it's too important for me to be a good human being. I really want to be that. And uh, because, oh my gosh, the rewards. I mean, when someone reaches out and says, where are you coming back? We're dying to work with you again. There's nothing better for me. I don't yeah. find anything better. I love that. Yeah. So, so that's, that, I mean, the filmmaking, the film world has, has given me this. That it is obvious that if I was an artist, like I know some that, you know, like comic book artists, you know, uh, comic book artists, they do, they're home all the time doing their, their boards of, uh, you know, um, comic strips and stuff. And you look at their work and they, this, they wake up in the morning or and they do whatever they do, and then they go sit down at a desk until four in the morning or whatever they do. They're on their own. And some of those artists have worked with in the art department a couple of times where they, they did a bit of storyboarding for us. Mm -hmm. They love it. It's hard to be on your own yeah. all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, you yeah. go through your life, but it gets really lonely. And every one of those artists has told me, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I can be a little bit out of the, my studio for a bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you need me, a camaraderie. You know, I mean, and you're yeah. you're able to bounce ideas off of each other, and it's it's very important to have that art department and, and set decoration department and and be there together. Even if you you know some it gets so crazy sometimes, and you might only see each other every other day or whatever. There's still this checking in and this this sort of yeah. like, how you doing and how's it going and where are we on that? Like you know, in the I don't flesh. know for you it is, but. Um... I've worked with the same, and of course there's new people every time they come, you, you meet someone else and you're like, oh, wow, great, oh, we had such a good time. But I've got a team of people I've worked for the last, I'm not kidding, for the last 20 years. And that's, that says artists. something. <laughs> people it, that work I mean, with people for yeah. a long time, it says something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. I've worked with them because I'm not looking for the next, strangely enough, I'm not looking for the next better one because they will always be the next better one. I've got friends of mine, designers that keep questing for the best illustrator for the best i think this is not the point those people by the way i'm working with are absolutely phenomenal and there will be another guy that will do something that i haven't seen it's great and maybe i'll work my thing is i want the people i work with to be able to bring a lot on the table meaning this is why i sketch i don't show i don't show them a piece of photoshop finish i like to sketch the idea because for me what i need is that form like if i showed you the batmobile sketch it is exactly there, the proportions are there, it's a rough mm -hmm. little doodle, but you see it. Mm -hmm. And from there, when my artists come on board, I don't tell them, move this here, just, I don't want to, to over... Uh, micromanage. Like, micromanage. Yeah. I, of course, I'm yeah. going to push for the direction I want it to be, but I want them to breathe. Yeah, they breathe, breathe, yes. They're going to do their stuff, they're going to bring their stuff to my design, my original design, and they're going to make my original design better. And if next time I do the same thing, I'm going to keep growing. I won't be just Patrick doing Patrick stuff with mm -hmm. Patrick's vision and Patrick and Patrick and Patrick. That is the wrong way to go for me. So always, because that's your job, sketch out, bring that, that signature mm -hmm. thing, bring that form, bring that silhouette, bring the, talk to them and let them go. So I think... You're a nurturer. You're, you're a nurturer then, yeah. and that's appreciated very much, <laughs> especially in decorating. I, uh, I I told you this was going to take an hour. I told you. <laughs> and look, it flew by. Cool. <laughs> I hope. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah. I, uh, I owe you a drink, 
at the ADG Awards. I hope I will uh, see you there and, and run into you and at least give you a big hug for thanking you for well, giving me a chance. Oh, I hope to meet you there. Yes. Yeah, we should totally meet. I'm not even kidding that I really was blushing at the end of this because he nailed it in some sense of saying, like, I don't want to sound humble. But he is. He seems really like a humble man who loves the collaboration that the art department has together in creating pieces. I mean, look at how many people he named and thanked uh, just in this interview of his team and um, getting everything put together and like I said, wanting to nourish people, that it's not just my design, it's it's ours. And we are all spokes in this giant wheel that just keeps turning um, in production design. So it was just super nice of him to give me the time. And I really learned a lot from him just in that. I mean, the ability to go from creature designer to production designer and then take on these huge films is uh, incredible to me. And um, I'm certainly glad that I have this opportunity to speak with him. And now I get to buy him a drink. I wonder what to order. I think he's, uh, I don't know, maybe he's a martini man. I don't know. I don't know. I'll let you know. Hey, got a minute? Rate this podcast on iTunes and just throw that five stars in there. You know you want to. I hope you got a near fall. I'm Kim Wana for Decorating Pages. Decorating Pages is sponsored by Stogie Floaty, luxury pool floats. Float them if you got them. Visit stogiefloaty.com.